the most remarkable diamond ring I've ever seen in my life. And he said, well, how much is it? And she said, well, you know, it's $24,000. And he said, well, if you really like it, then, uh, then you go ahead and get it. And she said, you know, earlier today I was at the Mercedes dealership and I found a beautiful, beautiful Mercedes. And he said, well, how much is it? And she said, well, you know, the, the nice one was, you know, 125000 He said, well, if you, really, if you really want it, then go ahead and get it. And she said, and you know the house that we have been wanting? It came on the market, and the down payment is only $980,000. And he said, well, you know, have you looked at it, and is that the best deal that you can make? And she said, yeah, I believe it is. He said, well, go ahead and make an offer, and uh, I'll see you at home after a while. And she said, okay. So she hung up, and he said, does anybody know whose phone this is? <laughs> Keep my phone right next to my, right here in my pocket. You would turn with me to First uh, Kings chapter nineteen. If we were to turn back one chapter, we would read about uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel and this great demonstration of God's power. He had been challenged, it had been three and a half years that uh, Elijah said it wouldn't rain and it's been three and a half years now and there's this contest between God and the gods of Baal. And the sacrifice has been set up and the gods of Baal have marched around it and they've prayed to their God and nothing happened. And so when it became Elijah's turn, he says, I want you to get water and I want you to pour around. I want you to go down to the sea and I want you to get water and pour around the sacrifice. And he gets down on his knees and he prays to God and says, God, now show them your power. Show them who you are. And immediately the fire from heaven falls. And the, and, the, and the sacrifice is consumed, and the water is consumed, and the, the, the hundred and something prophets of Baal are all killed at the hands of Elijah. Well, I want to tell you that as we begin chapter 19, that there was a queen who was now furious at Elijah because her prophets of Baal that she had trusted, the ones in whom she had put her faith, had been made to look so powerless before God and before Elijah. And she is angry. And she begins a threat against Elijah's life. So we've just seen at the hands of Elijah, by the power of God, this great demonstration of authority, this great demonstration of power. And you can imagine after that where Elijah would have to be sitting mentally and emotionally. He would have to be sitting on an emotional high with confidence maybe that he had never had before, with the assurance of his relationship with God, and knowing with all confidence who God was and that by his request that God had sent the fire from heaven and to demonstrate great power. So you can imagine as Elijah begins to run and he runs back to Jezreel that he would be entering into that city with great victory and that there would be absolutely nothing that could have stopped him. Absolutely no words, no threat, nothing that could have harmed him. But strangely, that's not what we find in, Elijah, uh, in, in the story of Elijah, beginning with verse 1. 
And Ahab the king told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So here's this queen, Queen Jezebel, who, is, who says openly and blatantly to Elijah, I see what you have done to the prophets. I've seen what you have done, how they have died by your sword, and I promise you by this time tomorrow, the exact same thing will have happened to you. Now I want to tell you one of the things that's kind of unusual about this story, and I want you to take this to heart, because the threats that come against us as believers... Those kind of threats that are made against you and I as believers are nothing more than threats. Because I want to assure you that Jezebel knew better than to take on God in this matter. So all she could do by this threat was intimidate Elijah. Satan, remember from a couple of weeks ago, I I was speaking to this truth, that we in, in any form or fashion as believers are a superior being over Satan because only out of, out of the two of us, one of us has the capacity to hold the Spirit of God. Now in and of myself, I am not. But because the Holy Spirit resides in me, greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. So I know that I'm a superior being. And the only way that an inferior being can actually have an impact on us is when we give a place for it and he does it by intimidation. I want to tell you, he is a master of intimidation. I don't believe for a second, now you may differ, but I don't believe for a second that Jezebel would have acted on this threat and I don't believe that 24 hours later, Elijah would have been dead. Simply because I know the heart that it came from and I know the heart of what speaks against us. But I want to tell you, it's amazing to me in ministry, how often we deal with things that are, that are dark and that we understand are not of God and how little authority we believe that we have to address those things. But I want to tell you, by, in, by the name of Jesus Christ, when you speak that name, you take authority over those moments. But Elijah, having now heard this threat, responds in a way that sounds more like us than we would like to believe. And that's the the necessity of looking at the story. In verse 3, And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, God, I have had enough. Now, Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him, and said unto him, Arise and eat. Well, I want to tell you the reason that this this is significant, and I was actually studying an entirely different passage last night. As I was preparing for this morning, the Lord had kind of formed a message in me early in the week, and I was preparing for that message 
and I was reading, and I came across this one, and God stopped the other one. You're going to get it later. But he said, this is the message for this morning. Why? Because he knew that there would be someone here, if not more than one, probably significantly more than one, who because of their circumstances, because of their situation, because of their need, because of their brokenness, have taken this, have begun this same journey that Elijah is taking. Now I want to tell you, it would be nice for us, and I, I read a lot of commentaries after I got on this passage, and it's so strange how every, almost every one of them says that this is a journey that was of God. That this is God, this is what God would have Elijah to do. And I want to tell you, I don't believe that for a second. I believe there's, there's fear in Elijah. I believe that he, that he is running scared. And at the point where he stops, he says, Lord, I am so tired, I have had enough. Now please remember, he's within just a few days, or really a few hours, of having seen this great miracle of God. Having seen this great release of God's power. This is not a man who has had years and years of brokenness and hurt in his life. And many sitting here today are have had brokenness in their situations are difficult and their situations are extreme and there's brokenness in their life. And they've come to the place that Elijah has and says, Lord, I've just had enough. And you know this morning if I'm talking about you. You'll know this morning if the Holy Spirit is piercing your heart and saying, I am that person. I've come to the place where I've just had enough. I had someone tell me, Yesterday, sorry, it was Friday, that in that extreme wilderness and extreme brokenness and in that long journey where we're sitting so much in this moment, it was so strange when I heard it come out of her mouth and she said, you know, I was so tired that I didn't want to stay here anymore. And it kind of shocked me because I've known this person for so many years that shocked me that it came out of, her, out of her mouth that she said, you know, I was so tired, I didn't want to be here anymore. Every one of us here have, can have compassion on Elijah. Every one of us here have been at that point where the situation, every one of us here have been at that point where the situation that's formed around us has been so difficult. And I've shared with you before, you know, even a few weeks ago, Many years ago, almost 30 years ago now, I had a good friend that died of a heart attack. And I never imagined that that would make the impact that it did on me, but I went to work on that Thanksgiving morning. The kids were little, Jan and the kids were at home. And I went to work that morning, sitting in my office, and every symptom of a heart attack that I knew that, that, was, that you could have when you had a heart attack, I had all those symptoms. I drove home as fast as I could, and I couldn't get calm, and they finally called the ambulance, and they took me to the doctor. And there was absolutely nothing wrong with me. Except I had the panic, you know, it was a a panic attack. So I spent the night in the hospital, they sent me home, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with me. But from from the doors of then Methodist Hospital to my pickup, a depression hit me like I had never experienced before. And I cried all the time. And I, I couldn't work. And I, it, it was awful. I, I just, it was awful. Hopelessness that sets in in those moments is so extreme. 
took almost two months, nearly three months. I went to, the, I was up here leading the singing on a Sunday night and I couldn't get through the songs because it just hit me and you just, at that point, you can't do anything. So I went home. I called the cardiologist who had been in the emergency room with me. Or no, at Methodist with me. I called him and said, I can't live this way. What in the world's going on? So I made an appointment with him. I went over there the next Monday morning. As Jan and I were leaving that appointment, between his, the doors of his office and the car, that depression left, and it's never been back. But I want to tell you, in, in that dark moment, I suddenly understood where Elijah is sitting because that hopelessness becomes so real that you just don't know, how am I going to function? And it was hard on Jan. And it was hard on the kids. It was hard on everybody around me. But I want to tell you, every one of us here in some measure can understand why Elijah was where he is. But here's the sad part. God saw him and God sent a message. God sent the angel of the Lord and said to Elijah, Arise and eat. Now there was a simple instruction of God to say, I am, I am a, I'm giving you a remedy for what's going on in you. And I want you to notice carefully what happens. The angel says, Arise and eat, verse 6. And he looked. Behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink, and notice this unfortunate next line, and laid down again. How many times has God offered you? How many times has God offered me a remedy? How many times has God offered freedom? How many times has God offered salvation? How many times has God offered that your life could be totally different, given you the instruction and the means by which to do it, whether it was an altar call or a friend coming over or an opportunity to pray with someone, whatever the opportunity was, and we stood up, we had, we, we, it happened, and we went right back and laid down again in the same place of brokenness where we had just gotten up. One of the reasons why in deliverance ministry that we do so much of in this church is we never bring someone to the point of deliverance until we teach them about spiritual warfare. Because it's amazing to, to see them come free and, and to drop those things from their life. But if they're not ready to do battle, if they're not ready to keep standing and to fight, then we have done them a great disservice of bringing them into freedom and then not teaching them how to stay there. How often we come to this exact same place where someone comes to the altar and, that's, and it's heartfelt and it's sincere and they come and they say something to a minister that's up here, meaning every word, and then go back and sit down or lay down in the place of brokenness where they just left. And Elijah laid back down and the story continues. Verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came again the second time and he touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went into the, in, in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights on Horeb, the mount of God. Well, I want to tell you again that this is not a journey that God sent him on. This is a journey that Elijah chose. And the angel of the Lord says, Where you're planning on going, it's too hard. It's too far. If you don't take the strength that God's going to give you, 
It's going to be a journey that you can't finish. We watch with sadness, and I shared this a few weeks ago. Isn't it odd that we confess in this hand that we are children of the living God, that we are children of, of, of a supernatural power because we read it throughout the Scripture. He, we, we are the children of a God who knows us and loves us and, and, and loves to give us gifts and bless us and bring us goodness because we live in His favor. How odd it is that we by that confession can also say in the same life that I've been battling a problem for five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and I'm still battling it. How do those two things coexist? How can we struggle with the things that we struggle? And I'm talking to myself. How can we struggle the way we struggle under the same confession of a God who loves us? I promise you, even today, Jay's 35 years old. If he comes to me with a problem as his father, I am going to do everything possible to bring him relief from the struggle he's facing. For those of you who have, who have little kids, if they come to you and they've got a sticker in, in their finger and they hold it up to their father and say, this hurts, what are you going to do as a father? You're going to pull it out. You're going to bring relief. When you hold your struggle up to the heavenly father, what do you think he's going to say? You know, no, I'm kind of enjoying watching you struggle. I'm kind of enjoying watching you hurt. I can't even imagine that, that being our Heavenly Father. So how do we confess one and struggle with another? Elijah has decided by his own choice, I'm, I'm going to take a long journey. And I believe with all my heart, it is not one that God says, I want, that's not where I want you to go, but if you're going to go, go under the strength I give you. Don't go out there alone. So he begins to make the journey. It's 200 miles. It takes him 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 9, and he came thither unto the cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down your altars, slain the prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore at the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance and the entering of the cave. Behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return into the way of the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be the king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nip, she shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elijah shalt thou anoint to be the prophet in your room. What a powerful question. 
Elijah, what doest thou here? Why are you here? It's a powerful question. And I want to ask you this morning the very same one. Now, I'm going to explain it, but I'm going to just simply ask you this morning, why are you here? Not sitting in this sanctuary. Not sitting in sundown Texas. Not here as a member or a guest. The question that that God was asking Elijah was very simple. Elijah, what state of mind, what condition of your heart has allowed you to come here? Elijah, a few days ago, 41, 42 days ago, you saw my greatness, you saw the fire of heaven come, and why are you hiding in a cave? Elijah, what in the world has happened that you are here? The situation that's formed around us has been so difficult. And I've shared with you before, you know, even a few weeks ago, many years ago, but almost 30 years ago now, I had a good friend that died of a heart attack. And I never imagined that that would make the impact that it did on me, but I went to work on that Thanksgiving morning. The kids were little, Jan and the kids were at home. And I went to work that morning, sitting in my office, and every symptom of a heart attack that I knew that, that, was, that you could have when you had a heart attack, I had all those symptoms. I drove home as fast as I could, and I couldn't get calm, and they finally called the ambulance, and they took me to the doctor, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with me, except I had pan- I, I, the panic, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a panic attack, so I spent the night in the hospital, they sent me home, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with me, but from the, from the doors of then Methodist Hospital to my pickup, a depression hit me like I had never experienced before, and I cried all the time. And I, I couldn't work. And I, it, it was awful. I, I just, it was awful. Hopelessness that sets in in those moments is so extreme. And it took almost two months, nearly three months. I went to, the, I was up here leading the singing on a Sunday night, and I couldn't get through the songs because it just hit me, and you just, at that point, you can't do anything. So I went home. I called the cardiologist who had, been in the emergency room with me, or no, at, at, at Methodist with me. I called him and said, I can't live this way. What in the world's going on? So I made an appointment with him. I went over there the next Monday morning. As Jan and I were leaving that appointment, between his, the doors of his office and the car, that depression left, and it's never been back. But I want to tell you, in, in that dark moment, I suddenly understood where Elijah is sitting. Because that hopelessness becomes so real that you just don't know, how am I going to function? It was hard on Jan. It was hard on the kids. It was hard on everybody around me. But I want to tell you, every one of us here in some measure can understand why Elijah was where he is. But here's the sad part. God saw him and God sent a message. God sent the angel of the Lord and said to Elijah, Arise and eat. Now, there was a simple instruction of God to say, I am, I am a, I'm giving you a remedy for what's going on in you. And I want you to notice carefully what happens. The angel says, Arise and eat, verse 6. And he looked. Behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink. And notice this unfortunate next line. And laid 
down again. How many times has God offered you? How many times has God offered me a remedy? How many times has God offered freedom? How many times has God offered salvation? How many times has God offered that your life could be totally different, given you the instruction and the means by which to do it, whether it was an altar call or a friend coming over or an opportunity to pray with someone, whatever the opportunity was, and we stood up, we had, we, we, it happened, and we went right back and laid down again in the same place of brokenness where we had just gotten up. One of the reasons why in deliverance ministry that we do so much of in this church is we never bring someone to the point of deliverance until we teach them about spiritual warfare. Because it's amazing to, to see them come free and, and to drop those things from their life but if they're not ready to do battle, if they're not ready to keep standing and to fight, then we have done them a great disservice of bringing them into freedom and then not teaching them how to stay there. How often we come to this exact same place where someone comes to the altar and, that's, and it's heartfelt and it's sincere and they come and they say something to a minister that's up here, meaning every word, and then go back and sit down or lay down in the place of brokenness where they just left. And Elijah laid back down, and the story continues. Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and he touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went into the, in, in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights under Horeb, the mount of God. I want to tell you again that this is not a journey that God sent him on. This is a journey that Elijah chose. And the angel of the Lord says, where you're planning on going is too hard. It's too far. If you don't take the strength that God's going to give you, it's going to be a journey that you can't finish. We watch with sadness, and I shared this a few weeks ago. Isn't it odd? that we confess in this hand that we are children of the living God, that we are children of, of, of a supernatural power, because we read it throughout the Scripture. He, we, we are the children of a God who knows us and loves us and, and, and loves to give us gifts and bless us and bring us goodness because we live in His favor. How odd it is that we, by that confession, can also say in the same life, that I've been battling a problem for five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and I'm still battling it. How do those two things coexist? How can we struggle with the things that we struggle? And I'm talking to myself. How can we struggle the way we struggle under the same confession of a God who loves us? I promise you, even today, Jay's 35 years old. If he comes to me with a problem as his father, I am going to do everything possible to bring him relief from the struggle he's facing. For those of you who have, who have little kids, if they come to you and they've got a sticker in, in their finger and they hold it up to their father and say, this hurts, what are you going to do as a father? You're going to pull it out. You're going to bring relief. When you hold your struggle up to the Heavenly Father, what do you think He's going to say? You know, no, I'm kind of enjoying watching you struggle. 
I'm kind of enjoying watching you hurt. I can't even imagine that, that being our Heavenly Father. So how do we confess one and struggle with another? Elijah has decided by his own choice, I'm, I'm going to take a long journey. And I believe with all my heart it is not one that God says, I want, that's not where I want you to go, but if you're going to go, go under the strength I give you. Don't go out there alone. So he begins to make the journey. It's 200 miles. It takes him 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 9, And he came thither unto the cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down your altars, slain the prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore at the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance and the entering of the cave. Behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return into the way of the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be the king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nipshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elijah shalt thou anoint to be the prophet in your room. What a powerful question. Elijah, what doest thou here? Why are you here? It's a powerful question. And I want to ask you this morning the very same one. Now, I'm going to explain it, but I'm going to just simply ask you this morning, why are you here? Not sitting in this sanctuary not sitting in sundown texas not here as a member or a guest the question that that god was asking elijah was very simple elijah what state of mind what condition of your heart has allowed you to come here elijah a few days ago 41 42 days ago you saw my greatness. You saw the fire of heaven come. And why are you hiding in a cave? Elijah, what in the world has happened that you are here? Every one of us here have been at that point where the situation that's formed around us has been so difficult. And I've shared with you before, you know, even a few weeks ago, many years ago, but almost 30 years ago now, I had a good friend that died of a heart attack. And I never imagined that that would make the impact that it did on me. But I went to work on that Thanksgiving morning. The kids were little, Jan and the kids were at home. And I went to work that morning sitting in my office. And every symptom of a heart attack that I knew that, that, was, that you could have when you had a heart attack, I had all those symptoms. 
I drove home as fast as I could, and I couldn't get calm, and they finally called the ambulance, and they took me to the doctor, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with me, except I had the panic, you know, it was a a panic attack, so I spent the night in the hospital, they sent me home, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with me, but from from the doors of then Methodist Hospital to my pickup, a depression hit me like I had never experienced before, and I cried all the time. And I, I couldn't work. And I, it, it was awful. I, I just, it was awful. Hopelessness that sets in in those moments is so extreme. And it took almost two months, nearly three months. I went to, the, I was up here leading the singing on a Sunday night, and I couldn't get through the songs because it just hit me, and you just, at that point, you can't do anything. So I went home. I called the cardiologist who had, been in the emergency room with me, or no, at at Methodist with me. I called him and said, I can't live this way. What in the world's going on? So I made an appointment with him. I went over there the next Monday morning. As Jan and I were leaving that appointment between the doors of his office and the car, that depression left, and it's never been back. But I want to tell you, in, in that dark moment, I suddenly understood where Elijah is sitting. Because that hopelessness becomes so real that you just don't know, how am I going to function? And it was hard on Jan, and it was hard on the kids, it was hard on everybody around me. But I want to tell you, every one of us here in some measure can understand why Elijah was where he is. But here's the sad part. God saw him, and God sent a message. God sent the angel of the Lord and said to Elijah, Arise and eat. Now, there was a simple instruction of God to say, I am, I am a, I'm giving you a remedy for what's going on in you. And I want you to notice carefully what happens. The angel says, Arise and eat, verse 6. And he looked. Behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink. And notice this unfortunate next line. And laid down again. How many times has God offered you? How many times has God offered me a remedy? How many times has God offered freedom? How many times has God offered salvation? How many times has God offered that your life could be totally different, given you the instruction and the means by which to do it, whether it was an altar call or a friend coming over or an opportunity to pray with someone, whatever the opportunity was, and we stood up, we had, we, we, it happened, and we went right back and laid down again in the same place of brokenness where we had just gotten up. One of the reasons why in deliverance ministry that we do so much of in this church is we never bring someone to the point of deliverance until we teach them about spiritual warfare. Because it's amazing to, to see them come free and, and to drop those things from their life But if they're not ready to do battle, if they're not ready to keep standing and to fight, then we have done them a great disservice of bringing them into freedom and then not teaching them how to stay there. How often we come to this exact same place where someone comes to the altar and and it's heartfelt and it's sincere and they come and they say something to a minister that's up here, meaning every word, and then go back and sit down or lay down in the place of brokenness where they just left. 
and Elijah laid back down, and the story continues. Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and he touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went into the, in, in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights under the floor of the mount of God. Well, I want to tell you again that this is not a journey that God sent him on. This is a journey that Elijah chose. And the angel of the Lord says, where you're planning on going is too hard. It's too far. If you don't take the strength that God's going to give you, it's going to be a journey that you can't finish. We watch with sadness, and I shared this a few weeks ago. Isn't it odd that we confess in this hand that we are children of the living God? that we are children of, of, of a supernatural power because we read it throughout the scripture. He, we, we are the children of a God who knows us and loves us and, and, and loves to give us gifts and bless us and bring us goodness because we live in his favor. How odd it is that we by that confession can also say in the same life that I've been battling a problem for five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and I'm still battling it. How do those two things coexist? How can we struggle with the things that we struggle? And I'm talking to myself. How can we struggle the way we struggle under the same confession of a God who loves us? I promise you, even today, Jay's 35 years old. If he comes to me with a problem as his father, I am going to do everything possible to bring him relief from the struggle he's facing. For those of you who have, who have little kids, if they come to you and they've got a sticker in, in their finger and they hold it up to their father and say, this hurts, what are you going to do as a father? You're going to pull it out. You're going to bring relief. When you hold your struggle up to the heavenly father, what do you think he's going to say? You know, no, I'm kind of enjoying watching you struggle. I'm kind of enjoying watching you hurt. I can't even imagine that, that being our Heavenly Father. So how do we confess one and struggle with another? Elijah has decided by his own choice, I'm, I'm going to take a long journey. And I believe with all my heart it is not one that God says, I want, that's not where I want you to go, but if you're going to go, go under the strength I give you. Don't go out there alone. So he begins to make the journey. It's 200 miles. It takes him 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 9, And he came thither unto the cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down your altars, slain the prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore at the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out 
and stood in the entrance and the entering of the cave. Behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return into the way of the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be the king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nip, she shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah shalt thou anoint to be the prophet in your room. What a powerful question. Elijah, what doest thou here? Why are you here? It's a powerful question. And I want to ask you this morning the very same one. Now, I'm going to explain it, but I'm going to just simply ask you this morning, why are you here? Not sitting in this sanctuary. Not sitting in sundown Texas. Not here as a member or a guest. The question that that God was asking Elijah was very simple. Elijah, what state of mind, what condition of your heart has allowed you to come here? Elijah, a few days ago, 41, 42 days ago, you saw my greatness, you saw the fire of heaven come, and why are you hiding in a cave? Elijah, what in the world has happened that you are here? And I want to ask you that same question this morning. God has so designed you, so designed me, so designed us collectively that we would be a powerful demonstration of His majesty, of His glory, of His power, of His goodness, of His strength, of His love, because He chose to give the Holy Spirit to us so that we could live and be the demonstration of all the strength and the goodness and the power of God. And when we live without it, I know the question on God's heart is, why are you here? This is where I have designed you to be. A church that is filled with splendor. I tell you, this, this mother that asked for prayer for her daughter, I can tell you the, the, the most joyous part of that is not only the expectation of what God is going to do, but the faith of a mother that says, I'm coming to church expecting God to be God. Expecting God to do what God says in the Scripture He'll do. The fact that we come to church with the full expectation that God is going to set people free that he's going to heal, that he's going to restore, that he's going to forgive, that he's going to bring salvation. We walk in those doors, I hope that's the full expectation of everyone, that God is going to be God in here. If he's not, why don't we just call it something else? We'll, we'll form a club and do good things and take trips together. I just happen to believe that God wants to be God in here this morning. And that there's absolutely no reason to come in here with the brokenness that has lasted for so long. And God's saying, you know, why are you standing here in your brokenness when I'm, I'm, I'm right here offering freedom? Why are you standing in, in your bitterness? Why are you standing in your frustration? In a big one. What does this story reek of? It, 
What's his answer every time? Why are you here? Well, this is my circumstance. Your people are awful. They've turned their backs on you. They've done, they've done this, they've done that, and here I am. I'm the only one that's left. What does that sound like? It sounds like self-pity. Sounds like self-pity. What would God love for Elijah have have said to him? When 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 the question came, Elijah, why are you here? What was the truth? I'm afraid. I ran. I'm afraid. But he did exactly what we often do. We describe our circumstances. We describe our situation. We describe what's going on. We describe, even in the face of our lack of forgiveness. If you're here this morning and there's somebody that you haven't forgiven, I tell you, God is, is, is giving you the opportunity this morning to bring healing into those relationships. If you're in a place of fear, God is telling you this morning that I'm standing right here and I want to give you the spirit that does not yield to fear. If you're standing here this morning in any kind of addiction, he says, this morning I'm offering freedom. If you're standing here in brokenness, he says, I'm the God who will bring you healing. If you're standing here angry at someone, he says, I am the God who will restore and I'm the God who will bless you. And if you're standing here in your stubbornness, and God says, bless your heart because what I'm going to have to bring that will change that is difficult. But I love you too much to leave you in your stubbornness. At any point, God is simply asking to give a, that we would give a full and an open and honest answer. However, most of us have learned to just explain, what, explain it by describing our circumstances or describing our situation exactly like, exactly like Elijah did. And God simply wants to say, would you be honest with me? Would you truly tell me why you're here? Would you just tell me that you're afraid? Would you tell me that you're angry? Would you just tell me that you're broken? Well, I want to ask you this morning, can, can this for you be a day of honesty? Can this be a day of victory? Can it be a day of freedom or a day of restoration? Can it be a day when you give an honest answer and take the first steps into the future that he wants? Most certainly throughout this passage, each question was asked. Three times God gave Elijah a remedy. And three times Elijah gave the wrong answer. The saddest part of this story, the only thing God let Elijah do now was to go home and to name his replacement. At any point, Elijah could have said, God, let me just be honest. I'm out here because I'm scared to death. I'm out here because my faith in you is so small. I'm out here because I don't think your grace is big enough to cover what I've done. I'm out here. That's my honest answer. question this morning is can you be honest before God I, I, I know this morning and I don't have to even this doesn't even have to be a stretch I know this morning that there are many who have put up with lived with tolerated 
brokenness and bitterness in their life. And God's saying, this, this can be a very different day. This can be a day of healing. Where does it start? It starts by an honest answer. What are you tolerating? What are you putting up with? God's saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. That still small voice asking, Elijah, why are you here? What's your answer going to be? Are you going to explain it away again and say, God, they don't understand me. They don't know. If they knew what I knew, they'd know that I was right. Or is this the day that you can be honest and say, God, I'm just stubborn. I, don't, I, I haven't wanted to agree. I haven't wanted to listen. I haven't wanted. Where do you stand this morning? Is this the day of an honest answer? Jay, would you come? I want to ask the whole praise team to go ahead and come up here. I've been asking the Lord from the time he gave me the message, what's th what this moment supposed to look like? What's the ministry time supposed to look like? And he has given me absolutely nothing. So we're going to sing, and I'm going to simply ask this, because I do not know. The Holy Spirit's going to have to speak to you because he didn't make it clear to me. If you know this morning that you need to go across the aisle or you need to go speak to someone or you need to come to the altar and pray or if you need to get somebody by the hand and come to the altar and pray and say, I need, this is the day of honesty for me. I need to come to the altar. I need to go to someone. I need to share something because, because I, I, I do not want to leave here the way I came in. I want to leave whole. I want to leave healed. I want to leave restored. I want to leave saved. I want to leave complete. I'm tired of describing my life by my circumstances and situations. This is an honest day before the Lord. What are we going to sing, Jeff? Amazing grace. Okay. Let's stand together. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Amazing love. Now flowing. Grace flows down and covers the amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amazing love, now flowing down from hands and feet. They were nailed to the tree. Your grace flows down and covers me. It covers me. It covers me. It covers me. It covers me, oh. Your grace flows down and covers me. 
Amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Amazing love. Now flowing down from hands and feet. There were nailed to the tree. Your grace flows down and covers me. Jesus, I just thank you that you purchased for us this opportunity to be honest before our Father. This relationship was purchased by you, Jesus. We thank you that we can come honestly before our Father. 
and testify of our hearts. And the blood that you shed covers. The blood that you shed takes away. And the death you overcame brings freedom for us. If we will only be honest with you, if we will speak the truth of our heart condition. We thank you that your grace covers us this morning, Jesus. It covers me. Yeah. It covers me. Oh. It covers me. grace flows down and covers me it covers me it covers me it covers me it covers me Grace flows down and covers me. Lord, you bless me and you keep me. Oh, Lord, you bless me and keep me. You cause your face to shine on me. Lord, be gracious with the light of your countenance. You give me peace. Oh, Lord, you bless me. Oh, Lord, you bless me and keep me. You cause your face to shine on me. Lord, be gracious with the light of your countenance. You give me peace. For I live. For I live. Only to see your face, so shine on me, and I live only to see your face, so shine on me. shine on me and I live only to see your face 
So shine on me, my desire. My desire is to see your face. So enter into this holy place. My desire is to see your face. So enter into this holy place. Our desire, our desire is to see your face. So enter into this holy place. Our desire is to see your face. So enter to this holy place oh lord you bless me and lord you bless me and keep me you cause your face to shine on me lord you're gracious with the light of your countenance you give me peace lord i thank you that you are mine and I am yours. I just thank you that we can dwell with you in this place in love. Father, your love is unstoppable. There's nothing that can slow it down. That as we confess and speak before you and draw close to your heart, it speeds to us. The only measure for your love is the cross. There's no depth or height or width on earth that can define it. Thank you that in your love you pour yourself out over us. And we can experience you. As you bring freedom, as you turn around everything. Lord, you bless me. And Lord, you bless me and keep me. You cause your face to shine on me. And Lord, you're gracious with the light of your countenance. 